you. Good morning. My name's Thomas. I've actually not met everyone here, which is exciting for me today. I grew up in this church. Um, was here for a long time. Um, yes, it's lovely to be here today. I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Thomas. I have uh, two sons, Thomas and Benjamin, who are being very boys right now, married to Rachel over here. Um, and it's my privilege to be here. Rachel and I normally attend another church um, down in Tarrant Point. Um, but every now and again, I get the opportunity to come and um, come and share God's word. So I'm very glad for that this morning. Um, I felt a little bit of a, um, a heaviness the last, oh, I guess, few weeks around the whole country. It doesn't matter what um, walk of life you're a part of or all the different groups that I guess that I'm a part of, but everybody seems to has, have this um, vibe at the moment that it's a little bit heavy, it's a little bit unknown, it's a little bit dark. There's a bit of a, a landscape of uncertainty right now across our whole nation, I think. And it's been an interesting one for me because it seems like now there's just so much debate going on and whose fault is this and whose fault is that and who are we blaming and how are we navigating it and how do we all how do we all cope and i'm so glad we had the opportunity to pray for the victims in the of the fires it's such an unprecedented horrific experience that we're going through and the truth is nobody knows what we're supposed to do right now because it's never happened before nobody's planned for this nobody knows what to do and it's so heavy and so thankful that we could pray and we Rach and I went and prayed at our church yesterday morning for an hour as well about just some divine intervention in this time and it's so important but what I wanted to talk to us all about this morning is where does our individual responsibility lie? How do we respond to these situations? How do we view, uh, sorry, how do we form the viewpoint that we hold? And I think for, uh, for me in college, when I went to Bible college, we called that ethics. We did a whole subject called ethics. What is a Christian ethic? which is essentially what ideology have you formed that you act upon? What is it within you that causes you to have actions in one form or another? And I, um, I want to show you a, a, a quick funny clip that I think uh, illustrates how hard it is to form a view. Please watch. I choose business ethics. Mr. Gordon, the American business environment has fundamentally changed following the insider trading and savings and loan scandals. Explain business ethics and how they are applied today. Uh, ethics of uh, 
business can be summarized in the... Yeah, um... See, ethics are, uh, You know, the, the, the thing about ethics... <laughs> now, legitimately, I think that's how most of us respond when people say, tell us about Christian ethics in light of all the stuff that's going wrong. Talk about Christian ethics when it comes to gay marriage. Talk about Christian ethics when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees. Talk about Christian ethics when it comes to now, these are funny clips. That's a funny clip. But honestly, I think we do get to a stage where you feel like you put on a, a pedestal somewhere because we have faith or we have a relationship with God and we're in front of people and we can hear booing from the crowd and you can hear booing from the people around us because people now have this idea of what a Christian person is in society. And when you go, yeah, well, the thing about Christian ethics is, ah, you're all going to hell. <laughs> that's how the world sees us, whether we like it or not. Whether we think that's a fair target on our backs or not, that's how the world sees our perspective. And most of the time, it's honestly because we don't know what we're talking about. We feel pushed into an environment when we're asked to have an opinion on things we're not qualified to have opinions on. Nobody comes and asks me for medical diagnoses because that's not what I study. But I can Google it these days. You know, I'm suffering a knee injury and I'm sure if I Google knee pain, right now, if I got my phone out and Googled, I'm experiencing knee pain. I'm sure at some point I would find a website telling me I probably have cancer. <laughs> there is so much information in the world and so many opinions going on that have got to a point where our ethic, where our ideology that drives us towards action is influenced by things it was never supposed to be influenced by. And I hear so much debate around things like, well, Jesus was never political when it comes to Christians holding opinions. Jesus wasn't political. In fact, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus said, we should put all leadership on a pedestal. Paul actually said that. But we should all put all, pedestal on a, uh, all leadership on a pedestal because all leadership comes from God. And Jesus never challenged it. Well, I've got an interesting thing that I want to talk to you today about. You see, Jesus was challenged by politics pretty regularly, by leaders, by religious um, figures, by who are also the political figures of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want to read to you from Matthew 22, a specific account of when Jesus was challenged. It's actually, I've got the um, reference wrong and I apologise to the media guys. It actually starts a verse earlier. It's Matthew 22, starting at verse 36, um, which begins with a question, which is, 
from a religious, political leader of the day trying to deliberately trip Jesus up. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This statement from Jesus is the central cornerstone of all Christian ethic, of all Christian ideology in the way that we are supposed to engage with the world around us. And when we're engaging with all these topics, we have to ask ourselves a really pertinent question. Am I finding my ethic, my definition of ethics, in the teachings of Jesus? Am I finding my definition of ethics in the teachings of Jesus? Because Jesus is not saying here that he makes a few good points that we should listen to. He actually says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, these two ideas. Everything in here is about love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, and loving your neighbour as yourself. Everything. It is the point. So for me, if we dive into the way that we can then practically form opinions or opinions, I feel like opinions are a bad thing. When we're trying to form a viewpoint, when we're trying to form a point of action, because for me, I've struggled with this too. I, I sit down and I watch so much hurt and pain in the world and I go, I feel like I'm useless. I feel like I can't do anything. What is my response supposed to be? And when we're trying to figure out our own response, how is God wanting us to respond to these things? And so when I look at this, um, when I look at this teaching of Jesus, I can see him break it down into four pretty clear points, which is God wants your heart, God wants your soul, God wants your mind, and he wants your actions to be about love towards others. So I think that when we're giving our hearts to God, our hearts to God is a representation of what is important to us. Here on earth, Rachel has my heart. I love her. Which means she is my priority. That's what love is. Love is an, an, a, a set of actions that begin to happen out of priority towards another person. And so when we give God our heart, we give him our priority. What is important to us become the things of God. It is seeing the things of God which becomes important to us. And it's actually easy to look back on that when we say what's important to us, how do we form what's important to us? Does it begin with God? Because I think so many of the debates end up finishing with, well, if we do that, 
my position will be more uncomfortable. And providing for myself is something that is really, really important. Sometimes it is, yeah. But we've got to ask ourselves, is that what God is saying is important? Or is that what Thomas is saying is important? And second is our soul. And I believe when you love something with your soul, that is what drives you to action. And the way that I describe it is when I met Jesus and he entered my heart and he began to change my soul, that drove me towards an action. That drove me towards changing my behaviours potentially. Or that drove me towards um, the journey with him and walking with him. And I think that drive comes from something beneath you because everybody who's been a Christian here for a long period of time will tell you that following Jesus is certainly not a one-way ticket to Luxuryville. It's not a one-way ticket to everything's going to be okayville. But the reality is that when we actually pursue who Jesus is, that comes from something deep inside us that we could never explain of how we keep getting up in the morning sometimes. Because you wake up some days and you're going, God, where are you? Jesus, you told me everything was going to be okay. And there is something, and I've preached on that here before, there is something always in us. I call it the little pilot light that drives deep from your soul and that drives you into action. And three, and I think number three being our minds, I think that's probably the most pertinent in today's society because of social media. But the way we use our mind, the way we love God with our mind, I believe is how we begin to form opinion and the way in which we form an ideology. And that for me is about the things we allow to influence us in our decision-making processes. Because I believe that the world says, this is how you form a decision-making process. One, am I going to be okay if I make this decision? Am I going to be okay? Two, do the people I love and care about, will they be okay? Three, will I be rejected by the people that I like for holding this opinion? Four, is the wider community that I'm involved in going to agree with this opinion? You see how that all set us back to ending up feathering your own nest, so to speak? But that's honestly what we've been taught from a really, really, really young age. Do the job that's going to benefit you the most. If you don't do well in school, you won't earn any money. And it's kind of, when we look about Jesus, it's all upside down because Jesus says when we start with that perspective, we're going to miss the entire point of how to form a working Christian worldview that's going to actually end up causing us to be lukewarm and get spat out, Jesus says. Because you've got one foot in either camp. You've got one foot in the world camp that says everything's about me, and you've got one foot in the camp that says everything's about God, but you forget 
that God is essentially about others. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we might have eternal life. Or all those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when we go through loving the God with our heart, our soul and our mind that needs to drive us to an ethical perspective that is others focused. That is Christianity summed up in a journey form. Christianity starts with an experience of the person of Jesus, but must finish with an action driven towards the plight of others. It must be others focused. And uh, if we look at Philippians chapter 2, I think they'll bring it up, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I want to quickly talk to you about the idea of others before we finish up. Because I think that's also easy to get misconstrued. Others are not the people in your lives who you easily gravitate towards. They are not others. They are you. You are them. My family is not a reflection of others, necessarily. It can be in a really micro sense, but in the macro focus of who we are as human beings in a greater, wider society, others are more like the story of the Good Samaritan. I believe most of us will be familiar with that story, but that is two worlds colliding. That is a group of people who did not get along with another group of people in a social construct sense. That is others. When we would step outside our social norms and look out for somebody else. It is saying, for us in the city, in response to the bushfires, maybe this will cost us money. Maybe this will make life here a little bit more uncomfortable. But the people in the country really need it. Because that is the divide that we're seeing coming out of this setting. Is that they think that people in the city couldn't give a rat, to put it mildly. That's how they feel. And we sit there going, yeah, but maybe they should have all just had insurance and everything would have been okay. You know how much I've seen on social media? Yeah, well, if you were too stupid to have insurance, well, maybe that's your own fault. And all we do is create divides. It's an unpopular one, but if we let everybody in the country will be overrun. Yeah, it's supposed to cost you something. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's like going to the gym. Going to the gym is not fun. It hurts. <laughs> going to work, unless you're a professional athlete or a professional musician, it's not a whole heap of fun most of the time. <laughs> I love my kids. But waking up at 3am when they're screaming is not fun for Rachel. 
It's supposed to cost you something. Because that's the reflection of who Jesus was. It cost him everything to come and find you. I think about the idea of tension in those a lot. Because we'll read something in scripture that says, sell all your possessions, give it away to the poor, and come follow me. That is the challenge to the rich young ruler that Jesus gives. As he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And does that mean, Tom, that I can't have nice things? I can't have a nice house. I can't provide nice things for my family. I can't go on a nice holiday. No, it doesn't. But boy, does it set up a wall when you're going to make a dumb purchase. When you're going to do something that is excessive and unnecessary. When there's that little voice in the back of your head that says, do you really need that? Like, that's the tension. It's about tension. Without tension, you'll go wherever you want to go. If a ship isn't tied to a dock, it'll go wherever it likes. But tension in the rope keeps it there. It keeps it where it's supposed to be. So the idea of giving all your possessions away is like that rope on a dock that holds you in the correct position your life is supposed to hold. Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much will be required of you. It's so hard to think about what forms our ethics. Because we see here, and I've said some pretty uncomfortable things. But why is it uncomfortable? Because we have got to a point. It's uncomfortable for me to say. But we have got to a point in society where we've let other things influence us. In Christianity, things have been able to drive and influence our own community that were never supposed to be there. And it's happened over time. That's happened in the last 50 years. It's not even been over the last 2,000. The last 50 years, we've let so many things enter Christianity church politics and the way we will and won't spend our money the things we will and won't do in the community now and I don't think it's that complicated and honestly this is where I wanted to finish up today and I'm done but Christianity is pretty simple and Jesus sums it up in you know in my Bible it's like five lines you can simplify it even further. It says Christianity is loving God and loving others. What it comes down to. How you define that is really important. But loving God and loving others. I believe that a true biblical teaching is you can't actually love God unless you do love others. They are mutually, like they must coexist, those two things. They must. And I think the challenge today for those who do know the Lord and do love Jesus and are walking with him, the challenge is the next time we have the opportunity to give an opinion, it's am I loving God and am I loving people outside of my own comfort zone here 
while I make these claims and I form these opinions. That would be the challenge. And if there is anybody here, I don't know everybody here, but if there is anyone that is exploring the idea of God and the idea of Christianity, uh, my encouragement to you is it's not what you've heard. Christianity is not about politics that feather our own nest. And it's not about the idea of a God in the sky that wants to beat people with a stick. It's not about a God that says, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. The idea of God is that he is pursuing you. He is loving you, even when you don't love him. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to chase you down and ultimately give everything for you. And he loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to us. Thank you so much for his example. And I pray that you will really help the Holy Spirit to drive us all to understand what Jesus was on about. Understand how he would have us form our thoughts and our opinions, how that would lead us into action, how that would cause us to respond to, to tragedy or to controversy. Lord, would you guide us in a path of love towards others, even if that comes at a cost to ourselves, because we know that our reward is ultimately when we meet you face to face. I thank you so much for this community of people, because I know largely I'm preaching to the choir here, and today is more or less a helpful reminder of who you are and who you call us to be. We love you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Thomas. We really appreciate uh, a well thought out, a well prepared, and a spirit driven message to us. Some meat to chew on throughout the rest of the day. And we look forward to when we're back for the second sermon as well. Thank you so much. Let's stand and sing our final song.